You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. My name is Jamin. If I haven't met you before, I am the lead pastor here at 1208, where we look to create space, foster growth, love people. And we do all this because we love God. That's right. And some of the ways in which we're creating space is uh, looking by looking at some other ways to do church that will create space for people who maybe wouldn't come to dinner, but would come to something else. So uh, down the road, as you see us talking about new initiatives that we're doing Um, Feel free to talk to me if you'd like to hop in or you feel like God's calling you to think of some other ways to reach people. We'd always be happy to talk with you about that. But today uh, we are going to jump into the Bible. We've been going through Matthew actually ever since we started Dinner Church back in last September. (laughs) My series are very long and drawn out. You're welcome, everybody. Um, But I like to dive deep and just kind of keep going through what the Bible's saying rather than a lot of times craft like a specific theme. Because I know when I just take the Bible at what it's saying, like it forces me to look at the stuff I don't want to look at to dissect the themes I don't want to dissect and have to sit with it and be like, okay, God, you're God, I'm not. So I'm going to take this in. So that's what we've been doing for the last, I don't know, half year Uh, and (laughs) for years before that as well. Uh, So today we'll find ourselves in Matthew 20. But before we get there, I want to talk to you tonight about the sons of thunder in the Bible. Believe it or not, Jesus gave people nicknames. That's how human Jesus could act sometimes, even though he was God in human flesh. He'd give his friends nicknames. And James and John were some of the first disciples he called, who eventually he nicknamed the sons of thunder. And in today's main passage, I think we're going to see one of the reasons as to why he might say that and why scholars typically agree he would say that. Uh, But before we get to there, I want you to get to know James and John a little bit, because you may not know them at all. You know, uh, a lot of times if we were asked to list the 12 disciples, we'd be like, James, John, Peter, and these, those other ones, you know, Uh, Judas, he was one, right? Yeah, well, that's maybe not the best one to remember, but sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, James and John. James and John probably grew up in comfort, which is an unusual thing to hear because James and John were fishermen. And usually when you go to church, you hear about James and John being like, oh, they're just fishermen. They're just blockheads. God just chose like some of the least people in his culture to to follow him around. And sure, they're not like really religious kind of look up to religious kind of people. But they weren't bottom of the barrel either. Fishermen could be rich, could be poor. It just depended on how good a business you were. Because in Jesus' time, there was a lot of people doing the fishing business. Fish was like the most popular food of the time. So if you wanted to be good at uh, business, you you had to compete against everybody else in the market, right? You You had to compete with all the other stores that were trying to sell their fish, And so though we often act as though like James and John probably had a horrible life already and they gave up nothing by following Jesus, when we actually look at their lives, we're like, no, they probably were like shrewd businessmen to make it in this market. And they probably weren't the poor kind of fishermen either because the Bible tells us that his father had hired servants 
to work alongside him and his sons and his family in this fishing business. If you have the money to hire servants to help out your business, then you're not exactly at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the fishing business. So by all means, life for them could have been quite comfortable, could have been going quite well. But then along comes Jesus and he tells them, drop your nets rather than fishing for fish all day. Come with me. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And we're going to go out and catch some people for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God. And so James and John, these are some of the first disciples that start following Jesus. They leave fishing behind. They literally leave their dad in the boat, which just sounds hilarious to me. Sorry, dad, got to got to follow that guy over there for now. You know, like they get out of the boat and they start following Jesus around, leaving it all behind. Now, James and John, as we get to know them a little bit, we start to realize that they they really like authority. Uh, You know, they've been walking around with Jesus now for some time, and they've seen Jesus do all kinds of miracles. He multiplies food and feeds more than the amount of food that he has. Suddenly it just grows into more food. He, He goes to towns and heals people. Leprosy falls off people. Demons listen to Jesus. When he tells demons to leave, they leave. And so here's Jesus walking around doing all this supernatural stuff. And I think for James and John, it kind of goes to their head. Sometimes like it does for us when we see God do these things through us. Because Jesus eventually starts telling his disciples, okay, now you're going to go do what I did. I've shown you how to do it. Now you go out. I'm going to give you the same Holy Spirit that's on me. He's going to go on you. Go out and heal people, cast out demons, do all these things. This is where I wonder if it gets to their head a little bit because... There's that famous story, or at least I talk about it way too much, right? You've heard it before, in which James and John come to a town and they can't find a place to stay for the night. Possibly the town doesn't want them to stay in their town, so they've made sure that there's not a place to stay. And if you remember this story, James and John, when Jesus shows up to the town, they're like, hey, there's nowhere to stay, so we've got this idea as to how to get a spot in an inn or something. Jesus... Should we call down fire from heaven upon them? See, the power's gone to their head, right? (laughs) It's not like healing people. It's not like casting out demons. Now they're looking at people as their enemies. It's like, let's talk about it, Jesus. Just think about it. What if we just burn this city alive? (laughs) And you can see Jesus be like, do you guys listen to anything I say at all, right? Do you listen to anything I say? That's how you're going to use power? And you see Jesus rebuke them. Now, uh, James and John are not new to this kind of thinking. Actually, they're thinking of Elijah in the Old Testament. There's this weird story in the Old Testament in which a bunch of people come up to the prophet Elijah and they're like, hey, uh, we need you to come talk to the king. The king wants to talk to you. And Elijah apparently has the authority from God to call down fire from heaven. (laughs) He's like, oh, no, I don't think so. And he calls down fire from heaven and burns up this army that just wanted to talk to him. Right? So the king sends another army. They're like, hey, the, the king wants to talk to you. He's like, I don't think so. Calls down more fire. Goes the third time. Like, please look at our lives as precious in your eyes, is what these, this, these new soldiers say. Just come talk to the king. He's about to call fire down from heaven again when an angel shows up. He's like, dude, just go with them. Stop killing everyone. <laughs> right? And so Elijah goes, talks to the king, everything's fine, which shows us, like, the angel's showing him, like, look, God wasn't granting you that power to use it that way. You just killed all these people for no reason, out of your own fear. And here's 
Elijah, sorry, not Elijah. Here's James and John, the sons of thunder, the powerful guys who have let all this go to their head. It's like, hey, let's, uh, let's uh, burn them up. That'll, that'll, that'll show them. Hmm? Let's go ahead and do that. And Jesus has to rebuke them. No, stop thinking like Elijah. Stop thinking of using power in that way. Just love. Let's go to the next town. <laughs> the reasonable way to deal with the situation. Interesting, Jesus doesn't like tell them, like, no, we don't have that kind of power. Rather, it's almost like a rebuke. Like, how dare you think you use your power that way? So... They, the sons of thunder and Jesus move on to the next town. And that's where you see their, their thirst. As time goes on, again, you see more pictures of the sons of thunder hoping for power and authority. That brings us to our passage today, Matthew 20. If you do want to read, I'm in the ESV. But if you're better at just listening, which is often what I'm good at. Matthew 20. 17 to 28. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took his 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the son of man, Jesus is referring to himself, me, I'm going to be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn me to death and deliver me over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and be raised on the third day. Then, and I love that. Well, a lot of times, like, we, if you're reading where I'm reading, it says, next chapter, a mother's request. Don't even read that. It's just the very next words. Jesus just said, I'm going to die when we get to Jerusalem. And the next words are this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, this is James and John's mom, came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the same cup I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. So the other disciples are like really ticked off that these guys are being so, you know, prideful about themselves. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever should be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I think this passage is hilarious, okay? In the Gospel of Mark, the same passage is expressed, but here's how it goes. James and John walk up to Jesus, and they're like, uh, Jesus, can we sit on your right and left? In other words, can we be like the greatest people next to you in the kingdom of heaven when you establish it? Like your right-hand man, can, can we be that? Matthew's like, oh, no, that's not the way it went. Let me give you some more details. James and John went and got their mommy to do their dirty work. Mom, can you go ask Jesus that we be like, 
his right-hand man, because, you know, you're a mom. They'll probably listen to you, right? And so James and John's mother, their helicopter mother, comes along. And uh, she does her dirty, their dirty work. It's like, uh, I have a request to make of you, Jesus. Uh, my sons, when you establish your kingdom, when, when you're here in full authority, can they be like the top, you know, people who work for you? And Jesus, what's hilarious is he doesn't even talk to their mother. He goes right to James and John. He's like, do you know what you're asking? <laughs> it's like, ah, he knows that we set this up. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> so, you know, caught in the act right there. Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, wanting the thunder, wanting the power, wanting the authority. Jesus is like, do you know what I'm asking? Were you listening at all to what I just said? We're going to Jerusalem where I will be mocked flogged and crucified and you want to sit at my right and left hands and that's the way that i'm moving into power into kingdom glory and they're like uh yeah sure yeah whatever we're, we're, we're able to do that they don't even know like they're so caught up in the glorious thoughts of of being in control that they're not even paying attention to what jesus is saying they're like yeah sure whatever we can drink the same cup as you and so jesus's response is okay then you will drink the same cup. And they do. One of the first apostles to get killed in Acts 12, he's run through with a sword by King Herod. It's James. James meets uh, early death, being persecuted for the kingdom of heaven. He drinks the cup, just like Jesus drank his cup. And John actually, um, John lives longer in fact, uh, we're not sure that he was ever martyred, which is unusual for the apostles, but he was exiled. You know, the book of Revelation is written by John while he's in exile. So we do see John, um, he lives a long life, but he is persecuted just as the other disciples were. He drinks of the same cup. See, these guys are looking for the power. They're looking for the authority. The, the thunder, so much so that Jesus at least thinks it's funny enough to nickname them the sons of thunder. You guys always looking to bring down the wrath. Uh, are you not listening to anything I say about love? So they expect, uh, see, the thing is, in their minds, they're expecting something different from what Jesus has been preaching this whole time. You have to understand, the Jews have been in exile for a long time. God prophesied, look, you're going to be exiled for about 70 years or so. Or after the exile, eventually there will come a prophecy saying in about 70 years we'll bring you out of this. But that 70 years has come and passed. And a lot of you, if you're Christian, you know what that's like. Because Jesus is like, look, I'm going to be back within a generation. And that generation passed like 2,000 years ago, right? So... God sometimes moves a little slower than he prophesies or he prophesies in a way that we don't always understand. I dissect that whole thing a lot more in a book I wrote. I don't even have time to get into it now. If you want to learn more about that, talk to me later. I'll send you a chapter of it. But in this particular case, they have been waiting for God to fulfill a prophecy. They're long past due. They're waiting for God to establish his kingdom on the earth and to do it now, not later, now. And they finally think that this is coming because Jesus is here. Jesus is clearly the Messiah. Jesus himself has said, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. 
Jesus has shown his power left and right by performing miracles everywhere to the point that, like, these disciples are convinced, obviously, this is God's work through Jesus. So, like, he's got to be the Messiah because God wouldn't just, like, gift someone with this power who, who isn't the Messiah. And so they're catching on to all these glimpses of power and they're thinking this is the time in which God establishes his kingdom in fullness on the earth. Right now, that's what they're thinking. Jesus is not just going to die on a cross and go to heaven and kind of rule from the heavenlies where we can't see him. They're thinking Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman Empire He's going to have this new uprising. All these past Jewish uprisings have failed, but Jesus is going to be the one that has the real uprising. And we're going to take back this kingdom and we're going to rule it and God's going to establish his reign on the earth. That's why we're going to Jerusalem right now where God is. That's his holy place. And when we get there, God's just going to establish it. Jesus is going to become king. That's what's going through their mind. So much so that they have missed the fact that Jesus is like, I'm going to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Yeah, sure, whatever, Jesus. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to take this place. Mocked, flogged, crucified. Yeah, let's do this. (laughs) They're missing it. And so often, that's the same thing for us. Our minds get so caught up in the glory that we miss the here, the now, the what Jesus is doing in the present. And most of all, when we get caught up in the pride and glory, we miss Jesus' command to be humble, peaceful people, bringing the kingdom of heaven in with a strength that comes in the most radical ways by being nonviolent. And so Jesus brings in the kingdom in the way that they don't expect. In fact, it is so backwards. You know, a lot of people miss this, but the Bible actually paints a picture of the cross as Jesus' exaltation as king. The Bible says, and you know the song, right? Uh, uh, we want to see you high and lifted up. It's a prophecy from the Old Testament. Jesus is high and lifted up. You know how that was fulfilled? On a cross, he's high and lifted up for everyone to see. That's his exaltation. On a cross. And what's very interesting, and I've just been thinking this over today. When Jesus is on the cross, Matthew right here in today's passage has, uh, has James and John saying, let us sit on your right and your left. One of the other times the expression of being on the right and left is used is when Jesus is on the cross. Where someone is hung on a cross to his right and hung on a cross to his left. Thieves who deserve in that culture's opinion, the death penalty, the electric chair. Thieves who, according to even one of those thieves, they're like, look, we deserve to be up here, but this guy hasn't done anything wrong. Here's Jesus hanging on a cross, and who has taken on the right and left chair next to him? It's the lowest of the low, the people at the very bottom, (laughs) the humble people who know that they have nothing left, who, who have this guy who's got no strength left to even be like, eh, don't do this to me, I'm, I'm worth it. No, he's just like, we deserve to be up here. They're at the very bottom. I'm not calling us to be thieves, by the way, <laughs> in case you're taking that away here. 
But I am causing us to think, you know, here's James and John. Let's rise to power. Let's overthrow the kingdoms. What do you want me to do? Be in charge of your army? Be in charge of, of your, your strength? And Jesus is like, chill out. Be humble. You will drink of the same cup of me. Mocked, flogged, crucified. The rest of the world, they go for power. They lord it over everybody. But you, not so with you. You are different. In my kingdom, we rule with humility. Just as I, who is Jesus, he's God of the universe. He's like, just as I have come to serve you, so you guys must serve as well. And so Jesus calls us to a very offensive position, to be servants and slaves of those around us, that we might show them the love of Christ, to be so humble that being on the right and left of Jesus' exaltation looks like us saying, like, it doesn't even matter, put me on a cross if you have to, he's worth it. And that's the gospel, that's a compelling message. That's your feel-good message of the day. (laughs) To embrace the persecution of Jesus, because there you'll find the wholeness of the kingdom of heaven. Not when Jesus comes back out of the sky and establishes on the earth permanently, but right now. Jesus told us, kingdom's already here. Just start working on it right now, and eventually I'm going to come back, and we will have the whole thing in fullness. So that's your call to today, to embrace your cross, to be servants and slaves like Jesus, not to rule like the sons of thunder, but to rule like the, the, well, the humble person that John does become. John lives a long life, right? This was a great thought from uh, our bishop that I heard last week at a conference. He was saying, it's interesting, John was at one point known as a son of thunder, but the nickname that he was given later in the Christian faith was the Apostle of Love. He goes from a son of thunder to an Apostle of Love. If you read the Gospel of John, that's what it's all about. It's about love, love, love. A lot of people struggle to see it, but if you read Revelation, which John also wrote, it's actually about love, love, love. It's love seen in some different lights, lights that can be uncomfortable. But the whole way through Revelation, God is just time and time again saying, come to me, come to me, I love you, come to me. And people just curse him out. And God's still like, I don't even care what you're saying right now. Just come to me. Join the side of love. I want you to be on my side. I want you to be adopted in my family. Join the side of love. And so that's the evolution that our minds need to take today. If you feel like, yeah, I see a lot of son of thunder in my life, I call you into the full evolution of John, from son of thunder to apostle of love. Because that's what God is. Love, love, love. All right, band's going to come up, and we are going to worship the God who is love, love, love. I know some of you are sticking around for the food bank. That will follow. We're going to play some songs, do some announcements, and then we will dismiss to the food bank. We still have three spaces available for the food bank. So if you have friends, well, first off, if you would like to sign up for it, go talk to Pat now. But if you have friends who you could call to say, hey, come fill these spots, Uh, Go ahead and do that as well. Okay, we're going to worship and then uh, announcements, and then we will uh, distribute food after that. So you can take on whatever posture you like in worship, but would you please start by standing with us?
And uh, if, if we have a prayer team available today, they will be in this back corner. So if you need prayer for anything, no matter how crazy it sounds, just trust that God is bigger than uh, your request and feel free to go ask. Thanks.